There was uh, um, three boys discussing some injuries that had got over time. And the first one went, I sprained my ankle and I went and saw the doctor and I wasn't able to walk properly for two weeks. The second guy, that's nothing. I broke my leg a couple of years ago and I was in a cast for eight weeks and I couldn't walk properly even after that. And the third boy, that said, that's nothing. I was circumcised when I was a baby. I couldn't walk for two years. <laughs> now, today we're, we're talking about circumcision and straight away it brings an idea of discomfort. And so, um, so I thought I'd break the ice with, with that joke just so we could sort of um, get into the, the frame of um, reference for today. But the thing is today we're going to be talking about not just the physical act, but the, I suppose the spiritual act that it signifies for all of us. Um, and so just to catch anyone up who's sort of a little bit behind the story, um, Joshua has come to the promised land with the people of Israel. God has actually called Joshua to be a leader. He's called them to move into the promised land. Um, last, they've all, they've spied out the land and we talked about Rahab. Um, and then we, we come to the point where last week they crossed the Jordan River. They actually crossed the boundary of the promised land and they are now in the promised land. And God said, now that you are here, I, I want to claim you as my people again. I want you guys to identify as my people. And so basically God gave them this instruction in, in um, uh, chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3. He says, at that time the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Okay, so now that's a Jewish way of actually saying something that um, for those who are grown up, look up what that word means later on. Um, it, it's actually will probably make you giggle, but we won't go there today. Um, so the, it sounds it sounds very proper in Jew, um, um, the Hebrew language, but it, it, it comes translates. They would have actually understood it very differently. But I want to begin with, I want to talk about the significance of circumcision. Um, again, this was something that was commanded from, um, from firstly to Abraham. It happened first, Abraham and his family, um, and then became part of the common law for the people of um, um, Israel uh, through the time of Moses. And, but circumcision was an outward sign that signified who God's people were and who were not God's people. Um, and there were, there were laws and religious ceremonies around this, and they were often physical examples of spiritual truth. So God was, going, was basically saying, you are my people and you are not. But the thing is, with that act of circumcision, there came a whole lot more with it. Um, it's like we could do something, we could go get an earring through our left eyebrow and that signifies that we are this. But it might be the thing is there might be a lot more actions or character that needs to develop, develop with that. And, and the thing is, even as it was understood in um, the New Testament, it often refers to more than just a physical act. In Acts 7.51, it says, You stiff-necked people, uh, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You resist the Holy Spirit. And so right now, basically, this is, is, is a, a challenge to the, the, the listeners of this congregation to go, hey, wait a second. The act of circumcision was meant to show that you were, you were God's people. But by the way that you are living, I can say that your hearts and your ears haven't been circumcised. You are not, you're not listening to what God tells you and you're not feeling, believing and acting on what God tells you. And so it was more than just a physical act. 
Circumcision was a mark of obedience. And so it meant that like this was something that I do to show that I am following God. Now the problem with that is that some people actually did the act and failed with the obedience. Um, and we see this in Romans 2, um, 29. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is the change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. Because the Jews, in like in Jesus' time, and even after that, in the early church, they basically said you had to be Jewish to be Christian, and to be Jewish you needed to be circumcised. And here Paul's saying, no, 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 it is, it is an internal matter that God does. It is not about following the law, letter of the law and doing good and doing good and doing good and not doing this, about not walking this far, and it is about letting your life be changed from the inside out. And this is where it begins to, to talk about the significance of circumcision. Even though it was a physical, external act, it was meant to represent something happening on the inside. It was a defining mark, not just physical, but spiritual and internal. Uh, Deuteronomy 26, so this is actually Moses speaking. So even though Moses was in the Old Testament, he understands circumcision was more than just a physical act. And he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And you have other Old Testament writers that talk about as well. Jeremiah talks about people having an uncircumcised heart and uncircumcised ears. Heart and ears that are not sort of, I suppose, focused upon what Jesus was, um, uh, God wants for them. And see, circumcision was meant to signify the change that God wants in our lives. Circumcision was meant to signify the change that God wants in our lives. Because the thing is, sometimes we're willing to offer up saying, God, this is what I'm willing to change for you. This is what I'm willing to do for you. And we actually, we spiritually pat ourselves on the back because we think, oh, look at the offering I'm making to God. Not often enough this happens where we actually go to God and say, God, what do you want me to change? What do you want me to be? What do you want to change in my life? What do you want to take out of my life? What do you want me to add into my life? God, you are the author. Let, let me to be obedient to you. And that's what circumcision was meant to represent. See, in essence, circumcision means to be set apart. Set apart. And so all of a sudden, people... Now, again, I have pondered this over the years, and I've never come up with a sufficient answer, that because it was... A, even though it was an identifying mark, it was not a visible identifying mark. So I, I'm not going to go there today, but I'll just let you use your imagination any way you want to, but I don't have an answer on that. But it was, it was something to identify the people to say, I am Jewish. And it was meant to say that I am different from those people around me in my actions and in my character. I'm different from those around me in my desires and my goals. And even I'm different in the purpose that I live my life. That's what it meant to be set apart. And in other words, we can throw in with being set apart as being holy. We, we see that repeated over and over again in Scripture. We are called to be a holy people. A nation of priests. 
And then we read through the scripture how often the priests were the ones who first failed in their duty to be set apart, in their duty to be holy. But we're meant to be different. We're meant to be set apart. And this is where the major problem lies when it comes with being set apart because too often it is almost impossible to tell the difference between those who are Christian and those who are not. Because we have some people in our lives who are really good people. And we go, oh, they're great, they're great people. And they're almost, they look and sound the same as us. Then we have some people that are not so nice people. But then we've got people in the church who act exactly like them. And we go, wait a second, where's, where's this idea of being set apart? Where's the idea that we live for different things? We, we, we dream after the same things. We pursue the same things. We, we pursue them in the same way. We have people in the church who will overwork for, to get identity. Well, they'll overwork to get, um, to improve their life. And God says, trust in me. And we look exactly like the people in the world who say, if I only make more money, then I'll be happy. If I only work harder, I'll get promoted and I'll feel better about myself. We, if we live like that, we look exactly like them. We, we, we excuse our behavior and our attitudes at times because everyone else is doing it. But you know what? To be set apart, at times it means we stand out. It, it, it does. We, it, like you can't get around it sometimes. And again, stories in the Bible reflect that. You look at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. If they did not stand out, they would have been bowing down with everyone else. And standing out meant they got in trouble. Standing out meant God showed up in a big way. There are times that it's necessary. It's, it's always necessary for us to be set apart. And sometimes that means we live differently to the world in which we live. And so that becomes an important idea as we, as we look at this idea of, of what Joshua and the people of Israel were, were doing with that action. They were getting to a place where they're saying, we are God's people and we will live God's way. Now they, they didn't always follow through on that, but that was the decision they were making at that point in time. Now, being set apart brings discomfort. Now, I could say being circumcised brings discomfort and we'd all agree, but being set apart brings discomfort. And so in the same way, there is a metaphor for our lives that we need to understand. We look at um, Joshua 5.8. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in camp until they were all healed. The Bible's being very nice about that. They're like taking a little vacation. No, they recovered. That should be the word. They recovered in camp until they were all healed. You just, like, you've got a whole bunch of men who are just suffering all together. Like, nothing would have been done at all. So I would have just been moaning and groaning. But the thing is, being set apart also brings about discomfort. Because sometimes when God, when God calls us to be who he wants us to be, he will start to point to areas in our lives. You go, hey, you know that thing that you kind of excuse all the time that you do? It's not good for our relationship. It's not good in being defined. I want you to get rid of that. Now, sometimes it might be an easier thing. We, oh yeah, God, I can see your point on that one. I'm happy to try to get rid of it. Like, I won't be perfect. I'll do my best though. And God goes, no, no, no. If you're going to be set apart, you need to stop doing it in your life. But then on top of that, God will point into some areas that are so deeply entrenched in us that 
it's going to cause some pain as it separates from our life, as we become who God wants us to be. It might mean major changes in our lives. And that, that, that brings discomfort. It brings pain. When God says, hey, that relationship you've got is actually taking you away from me. It needs to end. That, that'll happen at times. It might be something that you are dreaming of or you've been dreaming of all your life and God says, that's not my dream for your life. You need to give it up. And all of a sudden you've got to sort of, you hold this dream in your hand, you've got to, I've got to put it in God's hand and, and trust him for that better thing without actually even knowing what it is at times. It could be attitudes that we have, that we think we are so justified in having. It could be um, hanging on to unforgiveness in our life. It could be acting in ways that are not, we know they're not pleasing to God. I don't even have to mention to you. And you know the things that you do that go, oh yeah, God doesn't want me to doing that, but I, I want to keep doing it. And so you've got to get to the point, if you're going to be really serious about being set apart, to having your heart and your ears circumcised so that you are identified as one of God's own, there's got to be some steps of discomfort. It could mean giving up things that you don't want to give up. It could mean doing things that you don't want to do. It could mean surrendering areas of your life you, don't, you want to hang on to. That's a big one. Like... Um, some, some, like, have you ever driven with someone who, like, like they're not even a backseat driver? Like, they are, like, an intrusive GPS in your life. So, drive this way, do it this way. Oh, you should have turned there. Like, have you ever driven with people like that? They, they almost want to grab onto your steering wheel while you're driving? Some of you are smiling because I think you are them. Like, um, so you, you're going, oh, okay, I can identify as that person. The thing is... Like, sometimes we let God take control of our lives and then we say, God, don't do it that way. No, you're going the wrong way. And we, we kind of want to rip the steering wheel out of God's hands. And, and the thing is, sometimes we need to get into the back seat. We need to zip our mouths and let God take us where he wants to take us. And this idea of surrender is like that. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom, I don't know if I get this quote right, but she had a quote that says, Is God your, your steering wheel or your spare tyre? Is God the person you rely on when times are tough and something urgent comes up? Or is he the person who has control of your life and dictates where you go? And the thing is, we, this is what we don't like. We don't like being told what to do. Um, I think that's part of an Aussie thing, but it's a human condition. We don't like being told what to do. We want control of our own life. We want to be able to sort of say, this is, this is I'm in control of my life. The problem with that is that we do not know what's best for our lives on many occasions, and God does. And this is why God calls us his, his children. Like, when you think of your children, your, your children, children, and you look at them and go, yeah, they don't know what they need to do right now. Even though they may kick and scream and demand, like, I want to do this, I don't want to go to bed right now. We know if you don't go to bed right now, one, you're going to be tired and cranky, I'm going to be tired and cranky, and there's going to be a, vol- a volcanic eruption in this house in the next 24 hours. And we know that that's what's best for them. And in the same way that we know what's best for them, God knows what's best for us. And so when I use words like dictate, when we say like, God gets to dictate the way we want to go, you might go, oh, that's not, oh, that's not right. But the thing is, if, there, if we have a person who loves us, 
and cares for us and wants his best for us, then why wouldn't we listen over a trifling matter of going, I don't get to do things my way? That is a good thing, that God actually has a better way for you. And so it becomes an act of surrender. But being set apart, it brings discomfort. But we also need to realize that there is freedom in being set apart. When you get there, and the thing is, some of us are on the journey to get there. And that's, some of you, maybe most of us are in that place. We're in the journey to get to that place where we are set apart for God. We are, we are identifying God's people and God has total reign in our life and God has the steering wheel in his hands. He is showing us the way to go and we're following and, and we are living out having a circumcised heart. We are living out the idea of having circumcised ears and there is freedom in that. We see in Joshua 5, 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt so that place has been called Gilgal to this day. The past two generations, well, more than that, but they had come out of slavery and they went into the wilderness and then they were stuck in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And all of a sudden, God had rolled away the the shame and he had basically brought them to a place where you are no longer under the burden, you are no longer under the penalty, you are no longer under the weight of what has gone in the past. You are now set free in my grace. You are set apart in my purposes. And when we are walking in that, all of a sudden the weight of who we were, the weight of the things that we worry about, the weight of the things that are behind us, they're no longer there. From this point on, the wilderness was never a consideration. Egypt was never a consideration, going back to those things. And this is where some of us struggle because we actually are moving towards being set apart and all of a sudden we go, I want to jump back into that aspect of my old life. It was so good. It was so fun. I enjoyed doing it. It brought me a sense of whatever. And we, we, we blur the edges of, of the reality around it because what happens, we realise that we don't remember the consequences that came with it. There is freedom in being set apart. And so sometimes if we are struggling in that middle ground, it actually feels worse for us because we're not quite set apart, we're not quite in that freedom, but we're we're enjoying aspects of our former life, but at the same time we're experiencing the pain and the consequences that come with it as well. And it's it can be a miserable place. And so, if anything, I would tell you, move forward quickly or take a step backwards. Don't live in that halfway place because all of a sudden what you'll, you'll come to think is that, well, God isn't giving me my freedom. And no, the, the real answer is that I am not walking in the freedom that God wants to give me. Now, just quickly, before we move on to our last point, um, being set apart does not, mean, does not always mean being separate. I wanted to put this in there because for some of us, um, and I think this has probably been the church for a couple of generations, we have this idea that we're set apart. That means we have nothing to do at all with the world around us. 
my friends are Christian, my friend go to church, my church fills up my social calendar, I, I, I try and find a Christian cow to get milk from, I, I, I find Christian chickens to get eggs from, and my world is totally set apart, and the world out there, that is the devil's, and I won't have anything to do with it. Now, the problem with that is that, yeah, there is, there is some kind of change. When we set apart, there are certain things we won't do. But the problem with that is that when we separate like that, we can't be obedient to what God calls us to do. Because um, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Some of us don't like that. First. We were, we're called to be out of the world and not of the world. So we got total separation. But the thing is, the Great Commission, where does it, what does that, the start of the Great Commission say? Go into all the world. Go into all the world. It does not say run away from all the world, hide away from the world. It means go into the world. So you can't be separate and follow the Great Commission. We're also called to be living as light and salt. And too many of us are living as light and salt in this bubble. We need to live in light and salt in our workplaces, in our, our schools, um, in our neighbourhoods. And so all of a sudden people will see them and go, hey, there is something in your life that may not be clearly defined. And all of a sudden they can see that we are set apart. We are different. We are defined by someone that is above us. Another word I want to, again, being set apart is, is, is called to be holy, holy and, and, and living, having a life of holiness. And, and again, we have this idea that holiness is, is at times about hiding away from the world. No, holiness is not hiding. Holiness comes from Jesus Christ and the holiness that we receive from him should be infectious. It should actually flow over other things. And so when we encounter people who have who are caught up in sin, we shouldn't be afraid that their sin will infect us. They should be afraid that our holiness that comes from Jesus Christ will cure them. Did you ever see Jesus afraid to go into the world he was in? In fact, that's what it got brought up on. Like they went, oh, you, you've actually done this. You've touched someone who is sick. You've, you've eaten with someone who is impure. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter because I am holy and my holiness will impact them. They will not impact me. So holiness is never meant to be hiding. It is meant to be living in the world and, 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 and spreading that as we go. All right, last point. Being set apart is a step into maturity. Now, this is, this is brilliant because it means that, and some of our younger people are downstairs, but we've got some people that are still on the youngish side here. <laughs> okay, that was Bert just raising his hand for, for all... Um, um, so Bert's moving into that, that old-timers place, so he can't remember how old he is anymore. Um, but the thing is, it doesn't, your age does not determine how mature you are with God. Your age does not determine how set apart you are for God. Your age does not determine how holy you are from God. So the thing is, that brings great joy to you, the, the younger people, but for those who may have a few more years under their belt, all of a sudden, don't think that all the time in, my, in the church, all the time that I've called myself a Christian, will actually make me more holy, will make me more set apart, or make me more mature. It all comes down to that idea of choice, and being deliberate and intentional of actually stepping into the plans that God has for us. Being set apart is a step into maturity. So if you are willing to, to live set apart, 
All of a sudden, you are making a movement to be mature in God. We see this in, in, in verse 12 of Joshua 5. No manna appeared on that day, the first, um, uh, they first, on the day they first ate from the crops of the land. It was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites are only from the crops of Canaan. So what, what does that, that mean? They were, they were starting to walk into the promise that God had for them. They were moving, like they needed manna every single day in the wilderness. Every single day, or they wouldn't have had food. And there are times in our Christian walk that we need to be spoon-fed by God. Hey, that's a part of, of, of growing as a Christian. The problem is, some of us spend 40 years in that place. And God wants to move us out of that. He wants to get to a point where... Now, the Israelites still had a need for food. That didn't change, but God's way of providing it and the way the Israelites trusted in God for it changed. And that's the, that's the path of our, our maturity is that sometimes we, we kind of only believe God for this little thing and this little thing and this little thing. And, and like when, when the, the turbulence of life hits us, we go, oh, I can't, I've got to just work through that again. And God's going, but I thought you'd be here by now. I thought your faith would be able to and help you endure through that. And so for the Israelites, all of a sudden, they, they transition very quickly from looking for food on the ground each morning to looking at the crops around them and saying, we've got to harvest it. God has given it to us, but we've got to harvest it. We've got to make food with it. We've got to make, we've got to make a, adopt it to a brand new way of living. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to, to move out of those areas where we are immature in our faith and move into a sense of maturity where all of a sudden, like, it could be a tidal wave of problems hit us. And it doesn't affect us because all of a sudden our, our foundation is solid upon God and we go, oh, it's a bit, bit, bit of a storm today. And just keep on moving. For some of us, a storm hits us and we fall apart. For some of us, there's a great worry in front of us and we can't move forward to God until God provides a way. But for some of us, we have taken that step in maturity where all of a sudden the storms do not bother us. The worries become, okay, God has got this. And we're able to step forward in faith and obedience. It doesn't mean we stop praying. It doesn't stop, we stop, mean we stop thinking about something. It doesn't mean we stop sort of being wise with what we do. But there is a sense of maturity comes as we choose to say to God, I am yours. I am willing to circumcise my heart to be set apart for you. I'm willing to circumcise my ears so that I hear that what you want to say to me and be obedient to that. I'm willing to be identified with you and I'm willing to be defined by you. That's what happened that day. When Joshua and the Israelites, they said, we are going, even though it's going to be uncomfortable, we are willing to be defined by God and we are willing to follow in his footsteps as he leads us. That same call is put out for us. To be called by God. To be defined by him. And to walk with him in obedience. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is um, in all steps of our walk with you. Not all steps that we take with you are going to be easy. Not all steps that we take are going to be um, steps that we want to take initially. But God, we know, we know, in our heads we know that your way for us is the best way. Lord, help us to more quickly get to that place where we are able to, to trust 
um, and, and, and just be obedient with you. To, to be in that place where we can um, follow along with you in an instance. When, when the struggles of the world around us don't seem to bother us. Why? Because you are the centerpiece of our life. Lord, today I, I pray that you would show each one of us those areas that are holding us back from being set apart. And Lord, we know that will be uncomfortable to, to give stuff up, to add things in, to surrender control. But Lord, we, we want that. We, we do want to see that happen in our lives. We want to see that ha- happen in our church so that we can be made holy by you, that we can be defined by you and that people will see us and know that we are the people of God. I pray this in your name.